Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So I recently heard a story about a woman, and I thought it was kind of appropriate for what we're talking about this morning, our key to identity. She worked in a law firm in Chicago. And uh, she was talking about this particular day that was rather long, and she just got through a grueling marathon-like meeting, and now all she wanted to do was go home. So she went back to her office and started gathering her things together, and she couldn't find her keys. And then she said she did herself a TSA type of pat-down, and she can't find them. They're not in her briefcase, they're not on the table, they're nowhere to be found. And she thought, oh, no. She must have left them in the car again. And her husband had really been on her about this. You know, she, he said, you know, even if the car's in the driveway, you leave the keys in it, it can be stolen. He said, you got to be careful with this kind of thing. And so she thought, well, you know, just packed her stuff up, went down to the parking lot. And the parking lot was kind of empty, and sure enough, her car was gone. Her car was stolen. And so she's like, oh, so she calls, calls the police, and they're very helpful, and they said, you know, it's still daylight out, we'll get on this, and we've got a lot of cars out right now, chances are good. And so um, 10 minutes or so later, uh, the police came to the parking lot, took her statement, make sure they had everything in order, and uh, make sure they understood the story and everything. And she did confess to them, I left my keys in the car, I was an idiot, and, but he said, you know, it's, it's cool. And then he said, well, do you need a ride any place? And she said, no, I'm just going to call my husband, and i got to fess up with him anyway. So she goes back up to her office, she's dreading this call. She calls her husband back and she says, she tells him the whole story. Left the keys in the ignition again. This time you were right. It actually got stolen. The police are on it. They're looking all over the place for it. They were here. Talk to me. I think everything's going to be okay. But um, he, she said, I, I'm not sure what to do. And he said, it was a long silence on the phone. And you can imagine that. She thought they got disconnected. And he said to her finally, you're kidding me right now, right? And she said, no, this, you know, and he said, I dropped you off this morning. I have your car. And she was like, oh, okay, good. Well, could you just come and pick me up? And he said, yeah, I'll be there as soon as I can convince this cop that I didn't steal your car. Right? <laughs> so what a day, right? So again, key to identity. Keys are important, right? You leave them places all the time, you know, and then somebody's picking up your keys and running after you and saying, oh, you're not going to get very far with these. And Right now, you're probably thinking about how many times you've lost your keys or left them in places. Or if you're a good friend of mine, you're wondering where they are right now, but we'll leave you nameless, right? But there are other kind of keys, right? When I lived in Japan and we um, traveled to all these small towns across Japan, um, they would always give us the key to the city. And we got them hanging up on the squadron wall, a bunch of keys to the city. Hey, I'm not sure exactly what that means, the key to the city, but... I read one time about the singer Cher, right? We could have played Who Dis, but, you know, Cher, uh, she's changed so many times, you might not recognize her all the time, right? But she was given the key to the city, I think it was Adelaide, Australia. And then it was later sold on eBay for $95,000. The city was a little upset. She blamed it on a mix-up and a new office worker, but whatever. So keys to the city, keys to your car. Um, like many other words in the English language, the word key can mean a lot of different things, right? Have a lot of different meanings. The key to the city, not the same as the key to your house or the key to your car. You know, Holly was over here tickling the keys on the piano. We got 88 keys on the piano. But we use the key, the word key in, in the English language to uh, talk about something that's crucial, something that's imperative. So we talk about these things. We talk about the key to success, right? You can see books and things about the key to success on magazine covers. How about the key to happiness? Right? And my personal favorite, The Key to Life on Earth. Some of you might know that song. It's a pretty, um, well, don't listen to that one. Anyway, all those are valuable keys, right? 
valuable keys, especially that $95,000 key that, sh that Cher sold from Australia. But the keys, or the, the keys that I want to talk about this morning are the keys that Jesus talks about that I kind of mentioned up here in our object lesson this morning. The keys that Jesus talks about with, uh, with Peter. Um, it's in Matthew 16, um, chapter, or verse 19. Jesus says very simply to Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now, remember how excited you were that day your dad finally gave you the keys to the car? Or maybe you're waiting and anticipating that day to happen, it'll happen. Or the day that you were trusted with a house key. By the way, I don't think I was ever trusted with a house key. I don't think I ever had a key to my parents' house. But sometimes we had to take the screen off the window and open it, but that's another story. But The excitement that you felt, though, when Dad gave you the keys to the car is nothing like the excitement that Peter felt when Jesus said those words to him. When Jesus said to Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. But for us here today, that statement should beg some questions, right? I'm always telling you that. When we're reading through the Bible, it's okay to ask some questions. It's okay to try to dig in a little bit further. It's okay to try to understand it a little bit more. So now, for example, Jesus says to Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. It begs the question this, what are the keys to the kingdom? What are the keys to the kingdom, right? And now we're not talking about a physical key that may or may not unlock a padlock, right? We're not talking about those keys. We're talking about things that are crucial, things that are important, things that are imperative to that. Now before we dig into that main focus here that we're going to dig into this morning, I want to set the tone for where we are right now and what we've covered so far in this series. Now for the past several weeks we've been digging into this series that we call Identity. Jared did a great job on that, on that picture. I like that a lot. And, and we understand why it's important for us to put our identity in Christ, right? But we have to understand that. When we started this series, I played around a who this with Lombardi up there, right? And not just to give you, you know, if you can finally win one of those who, a round of who this, but Lombardi said you've got to get back to the basics. So always go back to the basics. Things would fall apart, and he would go back to the basics, right? And he always talked about repetition, right? Repetition and the basics. And so let's review real quick what we're talking about here, defining the terms, which I like to do here. So when we talk about identity, we're talking about two things. These are not, these are not dictionary textbook ones. They're textbook ones, but not dictionary terms, right? Your identity, I want you to think about this, is what you believe about yourself. What you believe about yourself and who you believe you are. Right? What you believe about yourself and who you believe you are. That's your identity, what you believe about yourself. And again, those, that sounds simple enough. Those two definitions seem similar, but again, I say that they are strikingly independent of each other. And if we're not careful, our identity can be stolen, as we've discussed before. Or as we discussed before, if we build our identity on, uh, like I say, shifting sands of this, this world or this earth, we'll end up with what we talked about last week, an identity crisis, because things aren't what they used to be, Right? And as a result, we don't know who we are anymore. We don't know what we believe about ourselves. We don't know what we believe about who we are, right? That identity shifts around. And as a result, we're not sure which way to turn anymore, what to do next. And instead of turning to solid ground, the solid ground of Christ, the unchangeable force of Christ, we look to the world to define ourselves you know, or identify who we are, what we choose to believe about ourselves. And it's stolen from us, and again, we turn, into, we turn to things that are a lie, right? And again, that's the identity crisis. All right, so back up again. Let's, let's keep going. So then, what is the key to all this identity talk? And what is Jesus talking about here in Matthew 16, where he says to Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven? 
And we could change that statement. I'm not saying change the Bible. We have to read this differently. We have to look at this differently because it's past tense now, right? Jesus says now, I have given you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, right? But again, for us here today, we have to met this out. We got to lay this down on the ground, right? Our question should be, what are the keys to the kingdom? Everybody should be asking that right now. What are the keys to the kingdom? What are the keys to the kingdom? So I'm glad you asked. All right. More importantly, what exactly do the keys, those keys unlock? Right? The keys of the kingdom, what do they unlock? I can tell you that it has nothing to do with earthly riches or anything that this world has to offer. And it has everything to do with where you will spend eternity. It has nothing to do with what this world has to offer. It has everything to do with where you will spend eternity. So when it comes to spending eternity with God, right, we often refer to that as, as what? Our salvation, right? Our salvation. Or to be saved. In the Greek, it's the word sozo, one of my favorite Greek words, sozo. And it can also mean not only saved, but it can also mean delivered. It can also mean rescued. So when Jesus says he saves us, he says, he's saying also, I have delivered you. Right? I have rescued you. So the keys of the kingdom, that's the most important question one could ever ask. Because Jesus equated salvation with entering the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say this all the time. We don't make this stuff up. Kind of lay it out on the table and we start making some conclusions here. We start putting things together. Right? This isn't just somebody's really good idea. No, these are what the, this is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus tells us about. So if we stay with uh, Matthew 19, we read John earlier, and I just wanted to keep going because I like to have a lot of scripture for us to lay out and to look at and to kind of cross-reference with each other. So if you look at Matthew 19, 24, verses 24 and 25, Jesus is saying this again, right? He says, I tell you again, um, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter what? The kingdom of God. Now, I also have to make sure you understand that Jesus used the, the terms the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. He used those interchangeably. So sometimes he talked the kingdom of God. Sometimes he talked about the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes he did it twice in the same sentence, right, in the same conversation. He referred to them interchangeably. So when we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, right? So he says, he's saying in this sentence, it's very difficult for somebody to enter the kingdom of heaven, somebody rich. Somebody in the disciples will, will define rich. What does that even mean? So the disciples kind of freaked out a little bit in verse 25. It says, when the disciples heard that, they were greatly astonished. Also use the word troubled here. Also use the word agitated here. Also use the word concerned here. The disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, and they asked, who then can be saved? Sozo, right? Who then can be saved? Who can be rescued? Who can be delivered? So like I said, Jesus uses the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven interchangeably, and here we have it in one exchange, right? Who can be saved? Who can go to the kingdom of heaven? Greatly astonished. They're troubled right, by this, right? And we see, when we talk about saved, the Greek word sozo, um, we see it all over in the Bible, right? We see it in many different places. We see it again, um, that same word used um, with Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas are jailed, um, and instead of complaining the whole time, right, they're praying. And think about that for a second. So they're, they're jailed, um, and, you know, they're here under false pretenses, but here they are in their jail. They're not complaining about their surroundings. They're not complaining about where they are and all this kind of stuff. You know, what Scripture tells us, we could go into that story a little bit more, but what Scripture tells us is that they're, they're sitting there, they're praying, 
right? And what, what do you think they're praying about? Maybe, you know, God get us out of this mess. That's what we'd be praying about, right? Well, maybe that's part of what they were praying about. But maybe they were also praying somewhat about, um, you know, these other prisoners. Maybe they had something that they needed. Maybe they were praying for the jailer. Maybe they were praying for the, the town officials. Maybe they were praying for other things like that, right? Maybe they're praying for, for God to be glorified even through this mess that they're in right now, right? So Paul and Silas are sitting there praying. The other thing they're doing is sitting there, they're singing hymns. They're singing praises to God, thanking to him for all that he's done, right? They're singing praises. Then you guys, I'm sure you know this story. Then there's this big earthquake, right? Chains are broken, the doors fall off the hinges, and here we are, right? And the jailer who has Paul and Silas in the inner room, because it's very important for these guys to not get out, right? All the doors are off, all the chains are off. The, uh, the jailer comes out, and he's about to take his own life with a sword because he thinks they're all gone, and this is the end of me. Um, everything's falling apart. I got to go. And Paul and Silas call to him and say, stop. You know, everyone's here, all present and accounted for, sir, right? And the jailer now has been listening all night. He lives there, right? He's been listening to this all night. He's been listening to them praying different things. Not just get us out of here, Lord, get us out of here, Lord, in Jesus' name, get us out of here, Lord. No, they're praying, right? They're praying for God to be glorified through this. They're, pray they're praying, thanking God for who they are and where they are and who he is. They're singing praises to God, right? And now you might think, well, um, you know, did the other prisoners know any of this? If you were someplace like that, and you started singing Amazing Grace, whether or not these people are Christians or not, they're going to know that song, right? So this is kind of the same thing. They're, they might not join in with you, but they're sure listening to this. The jailer is sure listening to this. And now paint the picture and get into that scene, right? So the jailer gets it. He comes to Paul and Silas, and he says one simple sentence, one simple question. Verse 13, he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Sozo. What must I do to be delivered? What must I do to be rescued? And this guy, this jailer, has already jumped ahead a few squares here. He realizes what I'm going to talk about in a few minutes here, that he has something that he needs to be saved from. He has something that he needs to be saved from. And Paul and Silas, and this is a good example for us, right? Paul and Silas are ready with an answer. They don't say something like, well, the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? They don't say, well... You know, I think it's like this. Or if you ask me, I'll just tell you this. You know, they don't, they don't do it. They, they quote Jesus. They quote the Bible. They don't say, well, maybe it's this and maybe it's that. No, they said this, right? What do they say in verse 31? They said, they replied, believe, right? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. That word believe, right? Have confidence in, have trust in, have faith in, have conviction, have expectation Right? Assurance, that biblical word hope, that word, biblical word certainty. Right? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. End of the story? Kind of the beginning of the story, really. You know, um, we have our faith milestones here for our students that come through, um, come through grace. In fifth grade, uh, it's their first communion, right? And so I gather him, them here with their parents, and we talk about communion, right? We talk about uh, the process, uh, where it started, when it started, and why we still do it here today, uh, literally 3,500 years after the Exodus, after Moses started this whole thing in Egypt. 
And then we talk about the words of institution right here. And you know, you know the words that I try to emphasize every time we do this. Right? What do I say? Do this in remembrance of me. Right? And part of the quiz for the fifth graders that come through, I ask them literally this, what are you going to remember? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. There's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. In fact, I would really like it if that answer changed every time we came into that. What are we going to do in remembrance of him? So I asked the fifth grader straight up that question. What are you going to remember? Now, I'm going to ask you the same thing, but I'm going to put a little bit of a different twist on it. In Acts 16.31, Paul and Silas answer the jailer. He says, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe. Now, the question is, what are you going to believe? Or what do we need to believe? At the same time, this, this, uh, this phrase or this sentence is, is very um, specific and it's very vague at the, at the same time. But it begs the question, what should you believe? Like, same way as we say to the fifth graders and us too. What should we remember when we receive communion? Because there's a progression here, right? And it's, it's the key to our salvation. It's the key to our identity, what we believe about ourselves and who we believe that we are. And it absolutely begins, this whole process absolutely begins, this whole progression begins with your identity. What you believe about yourself, who you believe you are. So as we, again, as we start to read through the Bible and we start to stack some of this stuff together and we start to investigate a little bit further on some of these uh, trails that, that, that takes us down, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's a great sentence. That's a great idea, but mm, what do we need? Is there another step beyond that, right? And like I said, the jailer already jumped ahead three squares from where, where we were a second ago. So just as one example, let's look at Romans 10.9. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be sozo. Back up just a little bit here. This is all bonus stuff. Confess. Confess is a Greek word that means to be on the same page, to agree, to literally speak the same words. Right? If you agree, if you understand, if you, if you are on the same page with Jesus, right? The, say the, the things that he's saying. Do the things that he's doing. Believe he is who he says he is. Right? If we can do that, right, that's what that confession is. Sometimes we think confession is that little cabinet, you know, in the Catholic Church. No, that's not, no, not what we're talking about. We're talking about being on the same page. We're talking about believing the same things, right? And then, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, so we're getting there now, right? Right? Simply believing that Jesus existed doesn't quite cover it. Didn't Jesus say that, you know? The demons believe and shudder, but that doesn't change who they are, right? You can believe that Jesus walked the earth and just say, well, he was just a great prophet, he was just a great teacher, he was just a whatever. No, that doesn't cover it, right? That's believing, but that's not putting your faith in him, right? It's not understanding what it is that we need to believe and where we need to get. Believing that God raised him from the dead starts to get us there, but you need to understand this. You need to understand that God did this for you. That Jesus did this for you. You need to understand what that jailer understood, that you need to be saved. 
You need to be delivered. You need to be rescued. Anything that of the, other than that falls short. Right? So the first thing we need to identify with is that we've fallen short of the glory of God. And that we need to be saved. That we need to be rescued. We need to understand that we're a messed up bunch of people that need to be saved, that need to be delivered, that need to be rescued. And as hard as it is to hear that we need to believe that about ourselves, that has to be part of our identity. That has to be part of our identity, who we believe we are. Who we believe we are needs to focus on the fact that we are a people that needs to be saved or in need of saving. We need to also understand that Jesus is the only way. Not one of many ways to salvation, the only way. And I know in our day and age and in our society and in our world, that sounds kind of arrogant. How can you be so sure? Well, you know what? We did the math and this is what came out. That you needed saving and the only way you could be saved was to God, for God to come down here on this earth himself. Sacrifice himself for you. So when we say believe in the Lord Jesus Christ... All of that has to come into that. That he hung on the cross for you. That God raised him from the dead for you. That he ascended into heaven for you. Because just like those keys that we saw here earlier, on the surface they might look the same. They do look exactly the same. But when you try them, you sure get different results. So we need to understand, we need to, to remember, we need to um, believe, right, that Jesus is, like he said, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. To bring that home, let's look at Acts 4.12. Only Jesus has the power to save, right? His name is the only one in the world that can save anyone. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind which we must be saved. So there it is. What's the key to our identity? What's the key to the kingdom of heaven that Jesus was talking about? What's the key to our salvation? Put your faith, put your trust, put your identity as we define it. Who you believe you are and what you believe about yourself. Put your identity in him. Amen? Start all over again. Let's do that whole thing again. Just please stand with me.